0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. This is a One and All Media podcast. Today.
1: Today. Today.
0: Today with Jeff Finds.
1: We are taking the gospel to the world.
0: Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher Bringing people far from God, near to God.
1: We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today. today, today, with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Finds. My name is Aaron, and we've kicked off an epic series titled "The Story," where Pastor Jeff is looking at the overarching story of the Bible, starting in Genesis and going all the way through Revelation. Over the coming weeks, Pastor Jeff will bring us stories or passages as he steps through the Bible. Today, we're continuing the creation story in Genesis that we started last time, looking at how we are the center of God's world and that we are the reason He created all things. Here's Pastor Jeff Vines now to finish this message.
1: The same God that made the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavenly lights, God, that God, He's the same one that brings down blessings into your life every single day. And he is not like the weather patterns. He's not shifting and changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, just pause right here for a moment. I got a lot of stuff to cover in a short amount of time. I need your help. I need you to concentrate. It's easy for us to look at ancient civilizations and say, man, they were stupid. I mean, really? Worshipping the sun and the moon and the stars and sea monsters coming out. I mean, come on. I mean, they weren't very smart, were they? Well... I wonder what the ancients would say about us. We worship things that have been created. We worship money. Remember, worship is anything that you trust, serve, and obey. The more money you have, the more you trust in yourself, in your own security. You obey money, you're willing to do whatever it tells you to get more of it. You serve it. Whatever changes you have to make in your life to get more money, you're willing to do it. How the, you think the ancients would look at us in modern day and say, man, you're stupid, man. Why are you worshiping stuff? Some of us worship success. We think that's how we get our meaning out of life. As long as other people know about us, as long as the people are thinking about us, as long as people raise us up above everybody else, as long as we have position and power, we think that's what matters. But that's temporary. At best, it's temporary. And people are fickle, man. You can't trust them from one day to the next. What is popular today may not be popular tomorrow. You trust, you serve, you obey other things. So before you take a good look at the ancient world and say, boy, they sure were stupid. I'm not so sure we can do that. We have some of the same habits. And then comes day two, where the God creates weather, sky, and sea. And then day five, what does God do? It's connected with day two. He fills the sky and the sea. He makes birds of the air and fish of the sea. I like that too. (laughs) Then on day three, It's about food coming forth on dry land and on the earth. But what happens on day six? On day six, God fills up the earth with land and human beings, and it's all related. You say, Jeff, what's the point? You and I struggle with it, but the ancients would have heard it loud and clear that there is a creator God who made everything out of nothing, and he must be a joyful, generous creator, an inventor, a designer, an engineer, bringing all this order and function out of the chaos in the universe so that he could give good gifts to his children, in the creation story, in the ancient world, it's about the God struggling with chaos. In the biblical creation story, it's about God making planet earth for us. He makes the heavens, he makes the earth, and then he fills it with stuff that will cause us to not only survive, but to be able to thrive. And he's incredibly creative as he does it. Now, let me tell you a side note here. Genesis is not the first book written. Job is. Did you know that? Job is the oldest book. And Job right away answers, hey, by the way, There's more stuff in the book of Job about the how of creation than in Genesis. It's amazing. Scientists have discovered, well respected scientists have discovered there are things recorded about the universe in the book of Job that we're just now finding out. Wow. Matter of fact, there's a great writer, Hugh Ross, that lives not too far from here. This guy is brilliant. We had him on, interviewed him on stage. Let me just warn you you've got to be pretty clever to read his books. But he's got two great books, and if you're part of the 8% that you've got to be convinced more about the how of creation, pick up a copy of Hugh's books. One, a great book uh, entitled Hidden Treasures in the Book of Job, and then another book called Navigating Genesis. And if you've got to have those questions answered, go to the book of Job. Go to these books, man. Some great reading, some great scientific detail. But I like the book of Job because Job reminds me of God's creative capacity. He not only makes the planet and the earth and the world so that you and I will have food so that we'd have sustenance so we could survive and thrive, but God just creates stuff for no reason at all just because he can. The psalmist says that. says that he makes a stream to go through a dry and, and desert, and there's no people living there. He just does it because he likes to, because he's a gratuitous God. He just sends a river right through there. Watch that. I'm going to make a river right down through this. And nobody's going to live here, but I just like the river. Job talks about this. It talks about making animals. Let's go back to the ostrich. I mean, this is really. I've I've mentioned this before, but really, the ostrich. I mean, she lays her eggs and forgets where she put them. She's a bird, but she doesn't fly. But she runs faster than a horse and a rider. So God makes a bird who can't fly but runs very, very fast. Why? Because he can. The Bible says just because he can. He's a creative genius. It's kind of a foreshadowing of what he's going to do in heaven. So you got no idea of his creative capacity. He's just getting started. Earth, planet Earth is a warm up. You got no idea what he can do. I think about uh, it talks in the book of Job in chapter 40 verse 15 about the hippopotamus. It refers to him as the behemoth. The hippopotamus. This this excrement-flinging creature. That's what it is. No real purpose for it. Think about it. I mean, the I lived in Africa for 10 years. These things in the evening as the sun goes down, as they relieve themselves, they take their tail and swish it all over the shoreline. Why? Scientists don't really know. No good reason. It's like God said, watch this. This is really cool. Watch it. (laughs) Okay. Hippopotamus. Thank God they eat vegetarian. They're vegetarians, right? The Bible says in Job 40, look at the behemoth. That's the hippopotamus. He ranks first among the works of God. It's like God says, when I made the hippo, I had my A game going. I'm like, really? That's your A game. (laughs) Okay, the whole point is that God is this gratuitous God that's uncontrollably generous, irrationally loving, and he's good for no reason at all other than just to be good. He's good because he just loves giving cool gifts. Now, bottom of page two, third line from the bottom. The Bible says, and God saw that it was good. Now, you and I look at the word good and we think, hey, good uh, as opposed to evil. No, no, no. The word good in the ancient world was a reference to something that works. It's effective. So God looked at creation and he said, this works. Now to know why or how it works, it's important to know what the goal is. And according to the whole Bible, as we go through it, creation works because one, man can live, breathe, and enjoy God's favor on the planet. That was the purpose he made the world. So that man could breathe, live, and enjoy the planet. Francis Collins, a brilliant scientist, says when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. Like God made it specifically for us and knew we'd get along really well. And the second reason is creation works because it glorifies God. The psalmist says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day. They pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. The Bible says that even if you don't praise God, the rocks will. They'll cry out. Why? Creation is meant for you and I to take a good look at it and to say, wow, God has this creative capacity. And if this is just practice, what's going to happen in the world to come? When I went to Africa, And I I love going. Yes, I love going to Rwanda to speak in the prisons. Yes, I love going to Zimbabwe, saving one village at a time, digging those wells. Yeah, that motivates me, but I gotta tell you something. I'll die in Africa. I've told that, I've told everybody I know, when I retire someday, I will spend my last days in Africa. I know that. That's where I feel closest to God. It's like when I'm there, I can hear the voice of God. When I go to Victoria Falls and I took my children, the first time I'd done that, and we saw Victoria Falls, the waves are coming down, millions and millions of gallons just pouring down and they make a loud sound at the bottom. And if you put your ear really closely, it's almost as if God is speaking to you as the water hits the bottom. It's almost like God is saying, I did this for you. And I see the lions and my wife and my daughter go and walk with the lions. You'll notice I'm not in any of these photos. And I think of William Blake, tiger, tiger, shining bright, burning bright in the forest of the night. What mere mortal hand or eye has framed thy fearful symmetry? What great God made the lion and the tiger and then the elephants and my sons taking a ride on the, and then my favorite animal, the giraffe, tall, but yet so graceful. Why is it that we're so compelled by the mountains and the oceans and the sky and the answer is, is because all of creation is singing the song of praise to its maker. And it's a song that's supposed to compel us toward God. One Jewish writer wrote like this. He said, the soul's nature or natural rather inclination to love beauty is the trap God most frequently uses in order to win it. The beauty of the world is the cooperation of divine wisdom and creation. God knows how to woo you. And that's what he's been trying to do since the day you were born that there's something beyond it inside your heart. You know it. And the writer of Genesis is trying to tell us that nature is a choir singing the song and the praises of God. And he placed you here on earth. And we're supposed to hear the song of creation and be drawn and compelled to God. Listen, there is nothing else like that in the ancient creation stories. There is no other story like this In this story, we are not afterthoughts. We are the forethoughts. We are the reason God created the world and the universe. He had us in mind so that we could live here and be compelled toward his glory. And he even gave us dominion over the earth. The earth is supposed to serve us in the way that it serves his purposes. Bottom of page two, top of page three. Here's what comes next in the story. Let us make mankind, God says, in our own image. Who's our? Who's us? That's strange, isn't it? I thought God was by himself. No. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our own image. The name of God is is a triune God. It's It's a plural word. In the book of John, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word became flesh. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're all together, perfect community. Jesus has his role in creation. By him, the Bible says, all things came into being. And so let us make man in our own image. They had a board meeting. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What are we going to do? Let's make something. Let's make man in our own image that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air in the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And now here's where the story gets interesting. God makes all these things and he says, wow, this is good. It works. It works because it's going to glorify My name is going to compel humans toward me, but it also is a great place for humanity to be able to live. And he says, it's good. Did you see Bruce Almighty? It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good, right? But then he makes man, puts him in the middle of the garden. What does he say now? Not good. Now, if you're a woman, you're probably saying, well, I understand that. What's so hard about that? No, 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 no. He says it's not good because he told man to go be fruitful and multiply. And he recognizes man can't do this on his own. So he creates a helper for man. Now, here's something interesting, ladies. It's the same word used of God being our helper. Can I ask you, does that mean that God is subservient to us? No. So when God calls you women a helper, does that mean you're subservient to your husband? Oh, I don't think so. You've been given the same category as God himself as the helper to us. You are the helper and we are your, it's, it's a mutual helping. And what happens next? God says, now, go be fruitful and multiply. Again, you think, well, that, okay, I've heard. No, no, no. In the ancient world, this all of a sudden would have let the world know men and women are both created in the image of God. The sexuality is not some superstitious act as it was in the ancient world for fertility rights. no sex became a gift created by God to be part of the wonderful world he made. So he says, babe, I'm, I'm sorry, but here's what he says. Be fruitful, multiply, have fun while you're doing it. That's what he did. He gave us a task, but he said, you gonna like this part. And every man said, every man said, God is unspeakably good. <laughs> now, this is so crucial. Let's keep going because I'm running out of time. Part three. Or page three right in the middle. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested. Now we're rounding third going home and I need your full attention because I get a lot in in about five minutes. The seventh day. Now, you and I read that, think about this for a moment. Why did God need to rest? God get tired? No, God doesn't get tired. So why does the Bible say he rested? Because Genesis was written for us, but not to us. Ancient civilization would have understood this completely because a king builds a kingdom. And he puts walls around it to fortify the city. And when the enemy is approaching, he doesn't wait till the enemy gets to the gates. No, he goes out. The king leads the army into battle. He goes out to deal with the chaos out there. And when he's dealt with the chaos out there, then he comes back in. And there's a parade, kind of like what we would call a parade. And there's a ceremony and the king walks back to the gate with the army behind him. Then he takes his way up the steps and he takes a place on his throne. And it's said in the ancient civilization, when the king sits on his throne, that he rests on his throne. Because the chaos has been pushed back, order has been restored, and the king is sovereign over his kingdom. When the Bible says God rested, it doesn't mean he was tired and he stopped doing anything. It means that everything is working just exactly as it's supposed to work. Man has a place to live, and it's good. And creation is designed to compel men toward God, and that's good. It's effective. It's working. So God took a seat, a place on his throne, and said, It is good. And everything was going so well. But in Genesis chapter 3, chaos made a comeback. Stay with me. Got to hurry. First full paragraph at the top of page 4 in your story. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly surely die. Now, what did they do? They had all all this stuff And rather than worship and serve God, what they do, they ate the tree. Now, does it bother anybody else that God put the tree in the garden in the first place? Anybody else? See, it would bother you because you're not in the ancient world. It would really just You're thinking, man, what's up? It was going so well. Why even put the tree in the garden? And notice where he put it. In the middle. You got to pass by it every day. Every day. I mean, why not put it at the end of some canyon that you had to hike days and days to get to? But no, no, let's put it right in the middle where every day, oh man, there's that tree again. I, there's, a, there's a tree again. You know, why? See, for you and I, we struggle with that. We get all theological and philosophical, uh, philosophical. but But the ancient world did not. No, no, they understood completely. This is what God does. He wants to answer the question of allegiance every day of your life. He wants to know, are you gonna serve, worship, and obey me or serve and worship something else? We've also talked about how God... Created for the purpose of love, the very essence of the nature of God is love. In order for love to exist, genuine, authentic love, there's got to be the option of not loving God. Love is not real if it's coerced and manipulated or forced. Love is only real when it's freely given. You can make a woman do a lot of things, you can't make her love her. You can't make her love you. That comes from inside. So God places the tree. All right, I want love. Let's see if you're going to love me. Are you going to pursue me? You're going to pursue your own purposes. The ancient world would have said, oh, of course God put the tree in the middle. No problem there. Let's get this decision over once and for all. Who are you going to obey? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to trust? And if you're honest with yourself, even if you're a skeptic, you know the reason there is pain, suffering, and death in this world is not because of some chaotic monster out there. It's the chaotic monster in your heart. All of us. And now this is where the story gets good. Every day of your life, you pass by the tree. Every day you make a choice. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve my own purpose? Every day you can decide every single day. And there are times in your life when God's going to come to you and say, Hey, I notice you're sitting on my throne again. You can stay there if you want, but if you stay there, chaos will rule your life, your choice. Or you can let me take my rightful place on the throne of your life. And if you do, I'll push back the chaos monsters. And you'll have this incredible peace in your life. I'm not telling you everything will be perfect and fine, but in your heart, I'll be on the throne. And when I'm on the throne in your heart, you'll have a peace that passes understanding. It all happens. It all starts. And this is the purpose of Genesis. Why? It all starts at the foot of one tree. Chaos begins. And everybody's going to deal with their chaos in their lives one of two ways. You're either going to try to get more stuff and distract yourself. I'm gonna go get a bunch of money and I'm gonna do these projects and I'm gonna distract myself from the chaos that's in my life and I'm gonna tell myself that I don't need God and even though you would never admit that, that's what you're doing. If I can have all this stuff, I don't need God. You'll even get God involved in to help you get your stuff but that's still your God. He's not on the throne of your heart. All that starts and then bitterness comes in, anger, jealousy, envy, everything just comes in. The chaos comes in, starts to flood us and the first story, the first part of it tries to tell you this. It all started at the foot of one tree. But then the king going to leave his palace. He's going to come down. And rather than waiting for it to get there, he's going to come down and meet it head on. And he's going to go out to confront the chaos, the only chaos that can ultimately destroy you, sin and death. And what started at one tree, he's going to defeat in another tree. And he's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to humble himself. And he's going to push back the chaos of sin in your life. And he's going to look at you and he's going to say, behold, you are good. Not that you're good pragmatically, but your sins have been forgiven because of the cross. I see you as good, you and I. There's no longer a gap between us. We can have fellowship one with another. I can be involved in your life because I've defeated sin. And they're going to kill this king. He's going to die, but he's going to bring a big surprise, he's going to come back again. And when he comes back, he's going to defeat death once and for all so that all who call on his name, all who call on his name will live with him. And then he will march back up and he will take his place on the rightful throne. And he will spend your entire life asking you, are you going to let him sit on the throne of your heart so that when his kingdom becomes a reality, that he will be your God and you will be his people. And every day of your life, you have to make the decision as you walk by the option. Serve God, serve my own self-aggrandizement. Serve God, serve my own purposes. And every day you get to choose, and one day the choice will be finished. And for those who have chosen for the king to sit on the throne of their hearts, he will make his kingdom a reality. And will be a return to the Garden of Eden. A return to what life was supposed to be like. When creation and his handiwork compels us every day to him so that we will stand and praise every day of the rest of our lives to eternity. And sin and death had been defeated. Johann Puckabell's great work of art with the notes running throughout the song and in the story the notes that will run through every story as we look at Abraham next week Noah, Gideon the prophet, every time you'll see these notes running there's only one way to push back the chaos let the king come onto the throne of your heart and push it all away And when he does that, the peace that you've been looking for, the joy you've been looking for, and everything that happened in the fall is restored through the power of Jesus in your life. Everybody gets to choose. Everybody. That's part one. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your love and the power of a narrative and a story. I pray in Jesus' name right now that our eyes would be open to your truth, that you are good that you are kind, that you made this world to compel us. You made this world that we would have a great place in which to live. But we chose to go our own way and chaos now ensues. And the only way to push back the chaos is to invite you back onto the throne of our lives. That we may know you, that we may be your people, you may be our God. And I pray that just through logic of the created world, any person that has not been drawn to you would be drawn to you now, today, and throughout the rest of their lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff fines Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff fines wherever you listen to podcasts.